just terrified me and I dropped uh, I dropped his lunch pail and he said, said maybe I can lunch pail. You're not going to work where I work because you dropped my lunch pail and broke my thermos. He said, what are you going to try and do? This is what you're going to have to try and do. You've got to try and find something you love to do. He says, and then just try someone. Try, try anyone get you to pay for it. So that's when I left trail. I was like 16 years old, 17 years old, and I went away and I banged around. And I played pro lacrosse later in my life, too, and so uh, I played uh, two sports. Uh, and uh, what happened was uh, uh, I think it, I grew and I got bigger and I got stronger. And uh, by playing two sports uh, year-round, I, like, I played pro hockey for 17 years and I played pro lacrosse for about 11 or 12 years. And I uh, played for the Man Cup, and I was a captain of the team in uh, Nanaimo. And so I started to become, like I said, I got bigger and I got stronger, and I knew that I, what I wanted. And uh, anyway, that's what uh, happened, and uh, I ended up uh, I ended up playing. I went, to, I went to a couple camps. I mean, I don't know how much time we got here, but I went to, I went to a couple of camps. I went to a Vancouver Canuck camp one time. I played junior in Prince Albert, which was a Ranger team. Uh, fellow by the name of, I can't think of his name, but uh, he was a coach there. And uh, anyway, uh, we got some equipment on. We just didn't go out in the ice and, uh, and uh, just, just get ready for camp to open the next day. And uh, he came to me and uh, he, he skated up to me and said, uh, where did you play last year, son? And I said, I played Prince Albert. He went, okay. He said, uh, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm not from around here. I said, I played lacrosse here and I played on we don't need any hockey players or lacrosse players in Canada. Get off the ice. I never even got to practice with the team. And I said, here comes Rodney again. <laughs> and off the ice I went, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get a tryout. I couldn't get anything. And I went to three training camps, pro training camps. Never even got an exhibition game. But then what happened was I got a tryout with the Seattle Kraven's. Keith Allen, the big Keith Allen was the uh, coach there. And uh, uh, I was out there. And for some reason, they had to keep a couple rookies, and I happened to be one of them. But what happened was I got to play on the line with Dyer Fielder, who was one of the best players that I, I'd ever seen until I saw Bobby Orr. But, 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 but anyway, uh, so I got in the game. They had me win the game. I played, and the game was, it was overtime in, uh, in Vancouver. And I remember the goal scorer was, uh, was Dennis Riggin. That's Patty Riggin's uh, father. He was playing for Detroit uh, Edmonton team. And uh, the game went into overtime, and I was shuffling around, and happened to be hanging around the net. And uh, Fielder pulled the goalie and, and moved all the defensemen out of the way. And, that, and my first goal was a, a winning goal in overtime. I knew I, I knew I was on my way then. <laughs> Can't take that away from you. And, of course, many years playing professionally, never quite getting to the National Hockey League. Then your attention turns to coaching. Washington comes into the league. You get an opportunity there. And then you move on or asked to move on. I'm not sure. We could talk about that in a minute. Got fired. All right. I'm trying to be polite, but yes, yeah, you get fired. So how, d how did the connection with the Devils come about? Well, uh, I was, uh, let's see, I was coaching, I was coaching uh, Philadelphia's farm team in uh, Port of Maine, and uh, <laughs> they sold the franchise to the New Jersey Devils. <laughs> but the thing is, they sold the team to play, but I don't know how that they sold me along with it. So I wasn't working with Philly anymore. I was working with the Devils, and then all of a sudden uh, I went to training camp, and I was working out with uh, Billy McMillan and uh, Burt Marshall and all these guys. And uh, uh, anyway, uh, I went up to Maine uh, with the with the 
players that they were developing, and uh, uh, I think and I, I got the job. Uh, uh, Jim Beamer gave me a job in uh, Dayton, Ohio, and I was uh, developing players. And I was a physical fitness nut, and I was in good shape, and I was running guys through their drills and that. And I think we were doing pretty good in developing players. So that was the word around that he said he would he would really sort of push the players to to be better players. Like I never ever wanted to box those guys that were happy playing in the American League. My job was to develop them. And this pitching I remember I had been over a hundred times in the National Hockey League. But anyway, getting back is uh, it didn't work out for Billy and uh, those guys. And uh, what happened then? Well, it happened kind of here in Edmonton. Yes, I'm going to tell you that now that I think my mind is. It's, uh, I, I think the same thing had happened here when uh, uh, the team was called to the Minnesota organization. And it's interesting that you use that because Ronnie Lowe was the goalie for uh, for New Jersey uh, at the time, and Ronnie Lowe was a very very good friend of uh, Wingers. And they and he, but knowing Ronnie because he played for me later, they probably asked him to come out of there. He scored with like Kansas City or something, and they probably asked him to get out of the net, but he wouldn't get out. He wouldn't get out of the net. And uh, I think uh, Wayne just thought, feeling so sorry for his one of his best friends that were leaving him in that, and he said something like, "I think you guys scored with him." He didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. But anyway, Mr. McMullen was really mad, and when the team came home, uh, he uh, he cleaned house. He walked through that dressing room, and no one was standing. They were all. I was up in Maine, and they brought me down uh, to get uh, trying to think straight. And I, I think we did. We did. We uh, he was pretty good, and. Uh, didn't win much, but at least we uh, we had a hard-working team, and uh, we, the people came back to the arena, and uh, I thought it was good. That year, 83-84, putting aside the game that took place here in Edmonton that led to you being named the head coach, was, uh, it was the first full year for Pat Verbeek, but he did play basically the whole season. Kenny Danico starts to becoming uh, a member of the team, John McClain. Bruce Driver comes from the Olympic team, plays a few games. So the seeds of what ultimately would become a very good team, uh, Verbeek was gone at the time, but then they won those th that cup. Those three guys celebrated that cup. They had been through all the hardships, Johnny Mack, Kenny Danico, and uh, Bruce Driver. Yeah, and uh, let me tell you about uh, uh, when uh, I got coaching there. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was terrible. It was no good. And, and those young guys like Johnny Mack and which ended up being a terrific hockey player, but he was just going, he was trying so hard, and he, you could just feel the tension, and he couldn't even hang on to the stick during the sawdust. He was squeezing so hard. And we were doing a drill one time, we were going like a two-on-one drill. He went down, and uh, he, two-on-one, and he had the puck, and five or six times, rather than pass, he just shot the puck, and he missed the net. <laughs> you know, like, he was just so tight. And I'll tell you the story. Now, I brought him in, and I said, uh, Johnny, I said, what you're going to have to do is it's a rough around here. We don't uh, – I said, we want to send you back. We're going to send you back to the Olympic team up in Canada. And, you know, you'd think that I just lifted Burn Arena off his shoulders, and he was so happy to just go up there and play with his old teammates, and, and his parents were up there, and uh, that was the smartest thing to do. And uh, he was so happy. Now next was, uh, you know, the famous Ken Danico. <laughs> I called him, and he just coming off a break, broken uh, ankle. Still had a cast on some of it. Um, I said, Kenny, I said, uh, Kamloops has got a good team. That's a team that you played for and everything. I said, uh, they had another not a bad player that played there, Scott Peter Meyer. <laughs> I said, 
But anyway, he come in, you know, and, and Kenny's Kenny. And Ken, I said, you know, I want you to go back there and uh, get, uh, uh, I want you to go back because we got a shot at the uh, Memorial Cup, which they did. They, they won. And uh, so I said, I want you to go up there and, uh, and start over. And I said, God, he said, is this a joke? <laughs> I said, if it looked like a joke, I'm the coach here. I'm telling you, we're sending you to Canada. And she said, how many defensemen you got here? I said, seven. She said, I'm the best defenseman here out of the seven. I said, yeah, I know you are, but today you're going to Canada. <laughs> well, uh, he has, he's always been full of confidence, and he has a great deal of respect for you and what you meant to his career. There's also a time, though, when he finally leaves the AHL for good, and he packs up everything, right? I mean, uh, yeah. he cleans out the apartment. I know, you know, I would have uh, liked to said, I would have liked at that time, I would have liked to have bought Ken Danico for what he was worth and then try and sell him for what he thought he was worth. I'd have never had to even go behind the bench. I'd have retired. <laughs> but he would, he, I got to tell you, I never had to run to him. He'd call me. Uh, but anyway, getting back to that, uh, finally, uh, he thought of something else to say. He thought it was Stevie Couture, who was our captain, saying, uh, and I, he's trying to talk like me with his teeth in. He said, you're going up to the stage. He said, would you screw off? He said, I said, Stevie, I said, would you stop it? He said, Tommy. He goes, oh, sorry, I said, you're going up tomorrow. So anyway, uh, I go over to his apartment. He's got six suitcases. I, I still don't have six. I got two suitcases. He had six suitcases. So I said, where the hell do you think you're going? He said, well, how long am I going up for? I said, well, if you play good tonight, I said, probably 15 years. If you don't play good, I'm going to pick you up at the airport tomorrow. <laughs> and so now he says to me all the time, yeah, I would fool you. He said, I went for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, said, I went for 20 years. he wasn't going back. What a marvelous player. Now, there's also another story involving you and Dano, and it's it's almost like it's a Midwest to the East Coast. There's Indianapolis is involved yeah, and, yeah. and Newark. And well, tell the story. That's a funny story because uh, Danico, Kenny Danico, would come by my office every day, stop and say, did you talk to Max McNabb today? I said, I talked to him every day. He said, did he say anything about me? And I said, not one word, not one word, Kenny. How do you know? So anyway, then, <laughs> then I'd wait 15 minutes and I'd walk into the dressing room where I didn't have to go in there. I was in my office for, to go to practice and warm up. And uh, I'd go by and I'd stop and I'd just stop and sort of hesitate. And I said, Kenny. Rizzo was asking for you today. He said, who? And I said, not one person. <laughs> As I was going out the door, he said, you know, you think that's so funny, don't you? <laughs> but, but anyway, he did go, and uh, I ended up coaching him there. And uh, I'll tell you, they, they did a great job winning those three cups, and he was such a big part of that. And I, there was other players, too. There was whoever. There were Puck. There was Dukes. All these guys that made that thing happen. And especially Lou Lamarillo making it happen. And uh, anyway, he, uh, they needed everybody. And uh, with his confidence, uh, he, um, he was a big reason they won the Cup. He was, uh, but not the only reason, but I'm saying, uh, I don't know if they hadn't had that mix of guys there, whether they would have won the Cup. He was a big part of that. Yeah, I mean, it's such a balance that you have to have to win. They had great players, and they had a guy like Kenny Danico, who's not a Hall of Famer, but he's a great devil, and he just gave heart and soul and blood and guts and 
skepticism take us hard to accept as a double test. I want to go back to something that you said earlier in the podcast, which is you were a guy who developed drones here, uh, over 100 going to the next, and approximately 80. When you took over uh, for Billy McMillan, that was also the year that Mario Lemieux was the plum at the end of the draft. Pittsburgh winds up tanking. Quite frankly, that's what they did. You're trying to develop players. You're trying to turn this organization in the right way. They're new to New Jersey. They've been battered. Their coach has been fired. And you're trying to get some of these young guys to serve them the right way. How hard was it to try to win when you knew that Pittsburgh wasn't and the reward was Mario Lemieux? Well, you know, I don't know if we had like another couple hours to talk, but I was around when I coached in Washington when the Billy Smith came around. And he was supposed to be, and it was, he was a good player, but he, he was like a Mario Lemieux. And uh, anyway, uh, I was, uh, we were, and I would go in the dressing room with, with that Ma the Mario thing and Bobby Smith little thing, and then later the Rickenhauser thing that Montreal had for the, dra uh, the uh, Colorado draft, and we went by them, and we went by, uh, but I would go in the room and I would say, you know, don't you guys worry about what's going on out there in Philadelphia? I said, the guy they draft might take your job away. We're here to, you know, develop and to win. And I would just be freaking crazy. <laughs> I was going down the corridor there in, in the airport one time. I'm not going to tell you who it was, but I yelled over at a guy from Minnesota. And he said, hey, if you're ever going to win a hockey game, he said, not unless you do. <laughs> so that's, that's the way. And, and, the, Ma and the Mario thing, uh, you know, it was um, it was just one of those things, and we, you know, we we ended up. But I had gone in there trying to build a winning reputation, and to to talk to the players going in there, they would read that, and they would say, you know, like I would say, well, what am I supposed to say, really? Well, don't don't try so hard, you know, like you know, can't be done. No, can't, it couldn't be. And you know, and they they talk about about it all the time, and uh, and I, all I knew. We got uh, we got well on the Mario year like uh, like we were going pretty good and we were developing players and we could I couldn't go in there and uh, I'm not making no excuses at all I don't do that but I you know like and, and I even had people come up when I talked to people didn't we talk to you about this didn't we tell you to talk about this and you know if that if they had it I just would have walked out because I'm not you know I'm not trying to build myself up I'm just telling you I believe that. Uh, Develop this team. We had some good young players. I couldn't go in the room and say, "Well, you guys, you're just a play. You're not playing tonight because I, I just couldn't do that." No, and listen, it was only a few years prior that you had won the championship in the Revival Association. You're a championship coach, and now you're going to tell some yeah. fresh. Never mind some of the veteran people. Maybe who maybe at the end of their career could have understood. You're going to tell some of the young guys that this is how we do it. I, I, I don't understand. Looking back at it, you you can understand how. Two franchises changed a little bit, although Kirk Mullen is a terrific player. Yeah. But at the moment, how, do, how the heck can you tell them, don't win tonight? You couldn't, and uh, that's exactly what happened. And, uh, you know, I would have guys come to me later and say, did they call you in? And I said, no, they didn't. I, I, I think that they didn't call me in because I might have walked out. <laughs> but then, and i got to tell you that uh, that the uh, thing I was, I wasn't coaching uh, I was down there uh, later on 
corridor around the ring I was walking in. And uh, turned around, walking down, and there's a bunch of people around them. It's sort of a devil trap. And as I'm walking towards them, you can hear the buzz. And I know I look ominously weird, but sometimes it's like you know, certain things that they still recognize me. And just as I got by them, one guy yelled, there's the son of a bitch that tossed us in you. <laughs> and they all were going, yeah, 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 yeah. And, then, and I just kept walking. Yeah, you have to. I mean, this game's been too good to you for, to let something like that bother you. Could you coach today? Does the game change so much? Would you be able well, to adapt? I doubt that very much because I can't stand cell phones. <laughs> everywhere I go. I, I can attest to that. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> we had a little trouble connecting, and then the phone kept disconnecting, and you were upset with me. I don't blame you. I said, you know, like, I couldn't, like, I'm going through airports with people running into me, and I'm going, and every time the game's over, these guys would be on me, you know, being bussed over to the airport, they're on, and these phones are on, so I just keep sitting there going, <laughs> I would just go crazy. I would, I would go in when they were on the ice and steal, steal all their phones them in a well or something, <laughs> but I, I'm half joking in that because I know, but uh, I, I don't, you know, I, I'd like to, but I'm a, way beyond that yeah. now, I'm way beyond that now, and, uh, and I didn't know whether to talk about it, but uh, uh, 54 years now in pro hockey, I mean, <laughs> last two years. <laughs> they can't get rid of you, but that's because you keep doing good work. Well, to show you your stamina, we saw you last time, again, we're recording dead heat, you were in Calgary the night before, Devils playing the Flames. The night before that, you were here in Edmonton. And where are you going next? Yeah, well, I'm here, and i got to go to Calgary tomorrow. So we were staying in Calgary, so I've been going back and forth and just scouting teams uh, like before. <laughs> and I kid everyone all the time. I said, like, how long has this been going on? I said, if I'd have known this was going on, I'd have come up off the ice 30 years ago. <laughs> you know, I said, you go upstairs and you have dinner, and I said, they give you all the credentials for playing and, uh, and going like that and, uh, and playing like that. And, and so I was saying, you know, uh, I just, I love hockey so much that uh, I would imagine uh, if I wasn't uh, getting paid by the Boston Bruins, I'd probably going be going to hockey games anyway. Hey, listen, it's not a bad way to make a living uh, as you continue to stay with this game. Looking back at your time with the Devils, they were just starting to put together the little seedlings to what eventually became the Stanley Cup championship teams. What, what, what's your legacy with the Devils? When you look back overall to your time, both in the minors and, of course, coaching the big club, what comes out? Well, I would just like to say that uh, I think I was part of, of building a good reputation. Good reputation. Uh, I know that uh, we had... Uh, we had uh, Pittsburgh down three games to two going in back to our own building, and we were out playing them, and we were out playing them, and uh, they came in, and uh, uh, I think when Barrasso got hurt, and then Peter Angelo went in the net, and we did score a goal, and, uh, and uh, they said it was kicked in, and it was, but uh, they went on to win the Stanley Cup, and uh, we were going into our own zone, so we were, we were pretty good. We were pretty good, and then also, you know, when I went in there the first time, it was uh, we were just so tough, just trying to get like just trying to get the players to believe that uh, they could work hard and play. Uh, and of course, I went into uh, Winnipeg, and there was a team with a lot of talent there. They were going nowhere, like nowhere. They weren't going to even get in the playoffs. And I went in, and uh, it's like uh, 
travel. Here comes Paladin. And I tell you, it was, it was, it was, I ran a, I ran a training camp in, uh, with about a month to go in the season. I ran just another training camp. They practiced twice a day. We won. Well, we went in the playoffs against the guys who were good. And we went into Quebec and they had ended up way ahead of us. Winnipeg, uh, won four straight. The last game we won nine three. Went against Edmonton and of course we won. Because we were we were done at the time, but they had a, they they had ended up 25 points ahead of the Winnipeg Jets, and it took us six games, and we beat that that team. And the last game was seven, it was seven three, and uh, uh, at the end of the game, seven three we, we we won the game, we won the championship. Yeah. So and the banner still hangs above the the rink in Winnipeg. It's a very important part of their history. Though it's now Winnipeg eventually they finished but they're now back I, I want to ask you one last question then to give us a, a ten Danica's here and uh, your relationship with Bruce and for those who are listening this is just an indication of what happens if you show up at a game you're lucky enough to be in the press box or in the media room like I am there's a table Connor McLeod's at it and young and old are all around talking so I mean you're a great raconteur great storyteller your enthusiasm is infectious and people just love you. They just love what you bring to this game. But Dano's got a particular love for you because it was at an impressionable time in his life. You helped get him to the point where he has become Mr. Devil, Mr. Magician Devil. Do you have one more Dano story that you can share before we say goodbye? I've got a hundred more. <laughs> we'll do that part two. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I would go and, and uh, just coming over. I was never a... Uh, chalkboard man. You know, I, I, <laughs> tell me what we're going to do and just go up there and do it. Uh, anyway, uh, and, and so Dan was driving me crazy because I, I, tell you, I don't know if I ever coached another guy that wanted to win more than him. I mean, and I shouldn't say that because I coached like a thousand players and, and the Pat Conicers, you know, they wanted to win too. But Dan, he, he just he wanted to win so bad. So anyway, he was driving me crazy have been growing up, and he said, and so anyway, I went out there, and the whole team was in the dressing room, and then he said, we should bust Dan out, so we busted him out, so I drew a, just a triangle on the board, and I put down uh, New Jersey, and I put uh, Portland, Maine, and way over, I put uh, Indianapolis, I said, we have players with the big team, we've got good players here, I said, we even have some players from Indianapolis, but I'm going to show you something, I said, I got this card, but I said, it looks like Indianapolis is closer to Jersey than New England. I said, but the funny thing is, you can't go to New Jersey. You can't do Indianapolis. You got to go back to me, up to Maine, and be with me, and then you can go down to Jersey. But I tell you what, I said, now if you know, like if you develop up there and you develop, and they, and they need a player, they're not going to take anyone from uh, Indianapolis. They're going to take someone with me up there. Okay, then. And I said, and so that it looks it looks easy. You could just drive down. You could just drive down to to the New Jersey, but you can't. You can't. You got to go north. You got to go up there. And I said, now, if you don't smarten up, Kenny, and I didn't talk to anyone else, you're going to Indianapolis tomorrow. <laughs> and, and when I left the room, you could have heard the guys say that. Hey, Indianapolis, I say, Kenny, Indianapolis. So uh, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't longer than that. He got the call, and uh, you know, and 
okay, Eric, you know, let me be open with you. I know you're he's a lovable guy. I know he loves you, and I know there's some time that you'll spend with him now as the Devils get ready to take on the Edmonton Oilers tonight. Tommy, time ran on, but it's been a pleasure. I got more out of you than I, than I had uh, promised I would take. Uh, I do appreciate your sharing some of your thoughts with well, us. it's my pleasure to know you. If we can talk about anything else in the world, talk about hockey, I just go talking all day. Well, it's been a lot of fun sharing uh, this time with you, and we thank you very much. And, you know, continued success in this game. I think eventually you'll you'll make it to your own home for about six and plus years. You're you're fine with it. Tommy McVie, former Devils coach, joining us now works for the Boston Bruins. He's been our guest on this edition of the Devils Podcast. Again, I want to thank him for sharing his time so graciously, and thanks to you for listening to this official Devils Podcast. We'll see you next time, everyone. Bye-bye.